Let's open our Bibles. Acts chapter 7. We're in a series called um, Where the Wind Blows. Um, if you're wondering, where did, where did we, who came up with that title? In uh, John chapter 3, this is where we actually started the series, like what, five weeks ago or something. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit, and he actually compares the Holy Spirit to the wind. He says the Holy Spirit's like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, but it's like the wind. You can feel the presence of the wind, and it can actually be very, very powerful as well. And he he actually uses that line, where the wind blows. So if you want to go back to week one of our sermon series and listen to that, that will explain where we got our sermon title from. Where the wind blows. This morning, um, we're going to talk about the spirit who conquers. In Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 6, chapter 7, we're introduced to one of the early leaders of the church, a servant, a man named Stephen, one among seven who were chosen uh, to serve people in need. Um, Stephen is full of the spirit of wisdom, power, and grace. He starts out just waiting tables, serving widows, people in need, and eventually um, he receives opportunities to, to do some other, maybe more exciting, hands-on kind of ministry. Somehow, Stephen gets involved and begins to do some really exciting things. And uh, eventually, he finds himself being confronted, a bit like Jesus was often confronted by a group of religious leaders. Um, so they were all part of like this Jewish world. They would all go to temple together, only the Jesus people were beginning to quickly stand out. They were looked at by others as this sort of like heretical sect that was just sort of erupting out of nowhere. People who didn't believe that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, to use the Greek word that they had been waiting for. So they had uh, great suspicion as they were watching This Jesus movement quickly grows. Stephen, of course, being one of the leaders. And Stephen is confronted by some of these religious leaders who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And uh, he responds by sharing the gospel. He actually, it's a very, several pages. He tells the entire story of God. He begins all the way back in the beginning and begins to sort of connect the dots throughout the Old Testament. He's talking about Abraham and Moses and, and all the way up to Jesus, and he's saying, essentially, you need to understand this Jesus who you rejected as the Messiah, this Jesus who you murdered was in fact and is in fact the Messiah. Can't you see it? And then he ends his speech by saying this. You stiff-necked people, this isn't on the screen, we'll get there. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always Resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. That is Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. 
Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. And in verse 56, it says, but he, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Let me pray before we continue. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. That these might be just more than words, more than ink on paper, but that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice to us this morning. Lord, that we might uh, grow together, that we might be built up, that you might renew our hope, that we might even get a clear view of who you are. Would you help us in all of these ways? In Jesus' name, amen. I'll share another story with you. I've talked about when I first became a Christian uh, quite a few times over the years. Very, very formative experiences. Um, I didn't realize it. I didn't know what to call it at the time. But when I had become a Christian, I found myself in a very, um, what, what we might call a charismatic church. Um, really loud, a lot of dancing. Occasionally you'd see like people waving flags around the periphery of the room. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been there. Some of you love that. You're like, man, yes. I'm really hoping by the end of this Holy Spirit series, we're going to see some flags in the room. And you laugh, but some of you really want that. I know you do. But I gave my life to Jesus and then found myself in one of those churches. A lot of praying in tongues. Um, a lot of very exuberant worship. I remember my very first prayer meeting at this charismatic church. Um, someone invited me. I think it was like on a Tuesday night or something. And I showed up. This happened to be a men's only prayer meeting. The ladies had their own thing, I guess. Anyways, I went to this prayer meeting. There was about like a dozen men in this little room. And when the prayer meeting started, they got in a circle and... They went for it. Anyone old enough in here to remember um, like WWF? I'm sure there's still like a contemporary version, you know, like pro wrestling, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Anyone? Okay, you, you feel me. Uh, and, and, and there would be these like unreal, slightly comical fights happening between these like bigger than life, larger than life wrestling characters. And then like before the fights, they would have interviews with these guys and they would like almost work themselves into like a frenzy, like a, you know, 
going off about what they're going to do, their opponent, all this stuff. That's how that prayer meeting felt. But like we were all doing that to the devil. I mean, it was just so much spit in the air. So by the end of it, you were just like, I don't know if this is the Holy Spirit or if I'm properly hyperventilating. Because this is just like so much energy, so much testosterone. And I thought that was just, that's how, that's, that's how you prayed. If you're really full of the Spirit, this is how you pray. I remember over time, the prayer meeting grew. Eventually, someone thought we should invite the girls, which I think is always a great idea. And what, I remember one girl, Maggie was her name, Magdalena. My goodness, when she got the mic, you had to take one giant step back. Because she was just like, fire, like so much energy, so much passion, so much volume. And I just thought, man, this is, this is like real spirit-filled prayer. Um, just kind of funny, and I also had to sort of like re-unlearn some of that stuff, because I realized like, oh, more volume doesn't equal like more Jesus. Maybe, but not necessarily. Weird. And it helped me to experience something, to tap into something profoundly true. Christians, men and women, who have been filled with the Holy Spirit of God, are created to conquer. Know that? Let me read you some Bible verses. Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Uh, Simon Peter has a revelation that Jesus is the Christ. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Romans chapter 8. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? His kids. Who is to condemn? Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The very end of the New Testament, the book of Revelation. Um, I think I mentioned the letters to the seven churches a few weeks ago when we began this series. We're going to go back there now. Seven letters are written to the seven churches. To Ephesus, it says, to the one who conquers I will grant to eat of the tree of life. To Smyrna, it says, to the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. To the church in Pergamum, to the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it. To the church in Thyatira, to the one who conquers and who keeps my word to the end, to him or her I will give authority over the nations and he will rule or shepherd them with an iron rod. To the church in Sardis, to the one who conquers, will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot out his name from the book of life. 
And to the church in Philadelphia, to the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. And finally, to the church in Laodicea, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered, as Jesus also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 60, it says, And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And then when he said this, he fell asleep. He was murdered by multiple blunt force trauma. How is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, Conquering in Christ. How does that align with this vision of being more than a conqueror, an overcomer, strong in the power of his might? How does, how does my life and your life, Christians in a 21st century world, facing challenges and navigating through conflict, overcoming impossible things and, 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 and suffering and figuring out the hard stuff of life and then reading in scripture, I'm a conqueror? I can do all things through him who strengthens me? When I am weak, he is strong and therefore I am strong in the power of his might? How do we um, reconcile this vision that we're given of a man or a woman being filled with the Spirit of God, the power of God, the same power that conquered death? Jesus said, I've come to destroy the works of the enemy. I've come to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like that's... Um, that's like military language. That's the kind of thing that will make you want to raise your voice a little bit. You wonder, like, how, how do guys get this idea that this is what prayer is supposed to sound like? Well, it depends on where you're reading. Some of this stuff is really like, yeah, it's intense. It can fire you up. I loved it. I loved it. When I began to um, be introduced to this, this vision of the spirit who empowers us to conquer. I was like, oh, that's, I, I missed all of that growing up. I thought God was impressed by me like suffering boredom. And now you're telling me that I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me? Yes, please. Teach me how to live like that. And Stephen fell to his knees prayed for his persecutors and breathed his last because he too was a conqueror. So what's that look like? How do we do that? Are you interested? Yeah. Curious. How does the Holy Spirit empower us to overcome, to conquer to conquer darkness in a very dark world? That's the question, okay? First, let's say what it's not, okay? What I'm talking about, what I'm proposing, 
is not the spirit of retaliation. It's not me conquering my enemy because you are a threat or it is a threat to me. It doesn't look like retaliation. Um, In Luke chapter 9, yeah, you might recall um, slightly comical, kind of sad um, exchange between Jesus and a couple of his disciples. It's one of these moments where his disciples, uh, Jesus' disciples, are debating amongst themselves. We're told they're arguing about who is the greatest. Ever come across this? It happens a couple times. It's, everyone always giggles a little bit, like, ha, that's so funny. It's not. It's, it's especially not funny when you see it happening in your own church. Who's, the, who's better than who? Who's more right? Who's got the best worldview or the most perfect theology? And we begin to, in different words, we begin to kind of debate amongst ourselves who's better, who's greater. A lot of pride, a lot of angst, a lot of ego. A lot of insecurity, if I can speak plainly. So they're having this argument, and Jesus is obviously listening to them. And uh, he explains to them, this is not how my kingdom works. He says, in fact, if you want to be great, become the least. If you want to become the greatest, become the least. The way you um, would welcome a child. Think of my kingdom like that. It's not for those who are the strongest and able to ascend the highest. It's for those who are able to become humble and to realize um, I am like a child and I need my good father to carry me, to help me, to save me. Um, Ironically, that little um, conversation happens right after Jesus for the second time, according to the Gospel of Luke, predicts his trip to the cross. So this really It's very, very difficult for Jesus' disciples to get their head around how a kingdom can be inaugurated through the death of its king. And to be fair, like, yeah, that's that's super hard. That's that's a little counterintuitive. So they have this uh, argument, and then we're told, in the very next little section of your Bible, we're told they come to a Samaritan village. They're on their way to Jerusalem. They're passing through a Samaritan village. We're told that the people there reject Jesus because he's a Jew headed to Jerusalem. So they outrightly reject Jesus. And then James and John turn to Jesus and they say, teach, do you want us to call down fire? Because we'll do it. We'll do it right now. In the name of Jesus, in your name, we'll do it. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? That's not the kind of conquering we're talking about. At all. And Jesus says, no, 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 don't do that. He actually doesn't say much more than that. He just says, no. No, you're, you're, clearly you're still struggling. That's okay. Look at there. Have you ever heard of dominion theology? You've heard of that expression? Um, it's like a slightly heretical stream of theology. S- slightly because it's not like, there's like real heresy, like where you're just like right outside of like, Orthodoxy, doing your own thing, ripping pages out of the Bible. 
Then there's also like more subtle things that kind of like creep in what would otherwise be like okay theology, like orthodoxy. Dominion theology is that. It's the idea that the kingdom of God is coming when Christians have the power. Okay? So if you want to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven, you need to get your guy in the position of authority and power. Or let's just cut to the chase and we'll like target, evangelistically target like the CEOs and like the high power people. Get those people who have the authority. Now the kingdom's coming. Now real dominion is coming to pass. And that's called dominion theology. It's bad theology is what it is. And you see it all over the place, like within the church. It's actually not hard at all to just kind of like slip into it. Because who doesn't want their guy like in office? Who doesn't want their guy? I mean, we all get excited about, you know, the Christian's going to get like to be in charge. That's a good thing, right? Maybe, maybe. Historically, that's not always worked out great for the church. Um, We have a complicated relationship with power uh, as humans. Um, Dominion theology is this idea that if an injustice is being done as a Christian, as a conqueror in Christ, one who is filled with the conquering spirit of God, the kingdom comes when I take the power and then use it to do justice. When I enforce the kingdom in the name of truth and love. I don't think that's how the kingdom works. That's calling down fire from heaven. That's seeing justice done here and now on my terms. That's me exalting myself in the place of judge. That's me taking vengeance. That's me taking justice into my own hands. That's me enforcing, imposing the kingdom of God in the name of justice. Hmm. No, no, that's not the kind of conquering we're talking about. Christians don't compete for power because all authority and power already belongs to Jesus. Okay? Well, I, don't, I don't have to cling. I don't have to grasp. I don't have to anxiously run after power thinking that somehow the world's got out of control, that King Jesus was on his throne, kind of slipped off. No, no, King Jesus still has all authority and power in heaven and on earth. So we don't compete for power. That said, this um, conquering, this idea of being more than a conqueror, it's not, it's not the opposite of that either. I'm talking about dominion theology or what I've simply, simply written down here is retaliation. Conquering is not retaliation. It's not using my power to retaliate or to dominate over another. It's not that. The other extreme would be pacifism. This idea that like all power is bad. All weapons are bad. Anything that could possibly sort of infringe upon the rights or the well-being of another is inherently problematic. 
and therefore were pacifists. There are power dynamics in every relationship. We don't compete for power, but you have power. You have power in your workplace. You have power in your family. I have power right now. I'm the guy with the microphone. I have a lot of influence right now, relatively speaking. You have power. You have authority. I have privilege. A lot, actually. The question isn't whether or not you have power or don't have power. We mustn't compete for power, but you have power. And power, your ability to quote-unquote conquer, is a stewardship. What will you do with the influence you have? What will you do with the strength that you possess? What will you do with your resources? What will you do with your privilege? What will you do with your influence? Let's talk about guns. Now, from what I understand, there's like a bit of a controversy around this <laughs> subject. I don't know. I don't know. I, just, I hear things. Um, guns, bombs. Knives, fists, the ability to do harm, the ability to defend, the, the ability to use power, technological power. That's what a gun is, right? Now, okay, before I really start freaking people out, like, I understand that this is an incredibly controversial nuanced debate, one of which I know very, very little about. But in very, very broad terms, let's talk theologically. Theologically. Is there a theological problem with me owning a piece of technology that could potentially harm another person? We could debate. I would say, no, not inherently. Not inherently. I mean, for that matter, I, I've got a weapon right here next to me. I could, do, I could do all sorts of damage with this thing. Worse, that's just a rock. I've got my big mouth. Let me talk about setting a world on fire. Never mind technology. Let's talk about the human tongue. What do you do with the power you possess? Do you use it to retaliate? To conquer, quote unquote, conquer in that way and call it like, well, I've been empowered by the spirit and I need to make sure that the kingdom is being enforced now on my terms. Or do I swing to the side and say, oh, no, no, all power is inherently bad and I, and I refuse to. And so I relinquish my responsibility to steward power. No, that would be um, potentially equally as harmful. Don't relinquish your responsibility to steward power. Own it. Own it. Well, the question, and I didn't really say much about guns, but the issue is always a matter of love. What are you going to do with the power that you have? 
with the technology that's available, with the microphone in your hand. It's always a question of love. What does it look like for me to love my neighbor in this moment? What does it look like me for me to love my enemy in this moment? What does it look like for me to bless those who are persecuting me in this moment? Now, if you're a cop or a soldier or someone who's carrying a gun right now, you have to answer that question. What will you do with the power you have available? What will you do with the spirit of God who's living in you, who empowers you to conquer? Will you use it to retaliate out of insecurity, out of fear? Or will you be a good steward of the power that you possess to bless, to love, to overcome evil by doing good The question isn't whether or not you own a gun or not. The question is, what what is happening in here? What will you do with your power? That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about when we talk about being a conqueror in Christ. You guys okay? Ish? Romans 12. You might be saying, well, where, are you, where are you getting all this? Where are you getting all this? Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. That's subjective. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to revenge, to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I'm talking about what conquering is not. It's not retaliating out of fear or anxiety. It's not Pacifism, where we simply relinquish our responsibility to steward power. It's something else. It's something else. How does the Holy Spirit empower us to overcome evil with good? Let's go back to Stephen. Here's a man who was full of the Spirit of God full of power and of grace. And in a moment, he finds himself surrounded by violent men, intending to stone him to death. He has the very power of the living God dwelling inside of him. You think perhaps he thought to himself, maybe I'll call call down fire. I'll I'll show them. Call down fire. Stone me. Throw a rock at me. Let me introduce you to the true rock. Whatever. I I would have been thinking all sorts of things, right? Got a rock. How did he respond? What was his heart posture? What did he do in that moment when the darkness was overcoming? threatening to overwhelm him 
violent men, oppressive, an oppressive system even, coming, caving in on him. What did he do with the power and grace full of the Holy Spirit? What was his, not reaction, but his response in that moment? He looked up. He gazed into heavens. And what did he see? He saw the king on his throne. The son of man who was slain and rose again, standing at the right hand of God. That is the right hand of power of the living God. And he prayed just as Jesus prayed, according to Luke. Into your hands I commit my spirit. What's your response when someone starts chucking rocks at you? This is going to get fun. Watch your eyes, okay? (laughs) Sermon illustrations gone wrong. Now, these are my rocks. What do you do? So there's, let's, let's, let's break this down, okay? You're on the internet. You're scrolling through Facebook. Someone's posted something. You're like, oh, what's that? What's that little hashtag, whatever, comment about that super controversial thing to do with guns or like trans ideology or whatever? And you're like, hmm, feeling a little triggered, going to comment. Before you know it, that thread's just blowing up. And people, people are picking up their rocks. Heads up, Melody. I got these off the ground in our alley. (laughs) South Africa. What are you talking about, South Africa? (laughs) Okay. You're driving down the street. Someone cuts you off. Does anyone anyone ever, um, anyone like to flip the burden here? Raise your hand. You like to use. To me, that's, that's, I really bothers me when people like flip me off on the road but it also makes me chuckle a little bit because I'm like who does that some of you are like I I, kind of do really the bird that's that's your thing the bird oh oh that's worse the wagging finger and you're driving someone does this or gives you gives you the bird heads up Jack what do you do and you can feel it you can feel the opposition you can feel the temptation to retaliate you can you can feel that the violence in the heart of another beginning to encroach upon you. Maybe it's in your relationship. Now, I've heard, I've heard that occasionally husbands and wives will argue. Have you heard this? It's, it's a thing. It's a thing. And your lovely spouse makes a comment about how personal do I want to get I got paint in my arms. We were painting the inside of our house this week. It took a couple days off, which means then we rearrange all the furniture. Shirley and I realized this is probably like one of our primary triggers. Like where the piece of artwork should go or where the chair should go. And like it only takes one thing. Oh, maybe we should put it over here. Well, maybe you should shut your mouth. You know, like, like in my heart, like I'm just like, ah, ah. Sorry. So that one was, that, that had a little emotion to it. And oftentimes, we don't find ourselves surrounded by violent men with big rocks. It's online, it's in our relationships. 
But it doesn't take much. Just a little pebble. Just be like, mm. what's, what's, what? Do you, you not know? I've got some words as well. You want to come at me? Oh, watch what I can do with my tongue. Well, I'll cut you down. Actually, my go-to is like, I'll say really nice things. I'll kind of like do this like Neo deal where everything goes into slow motion. I become emotionally like cool. Nothing will come out of my mouth that is technically mean. (laughs) Oh, but I can like stonewall. Like this like wall just 12 inches thick. And it's just the whole atmosphere just goes cold. Because you said the wrong thing and now I'm retaliating. Who wants this one? Come on, Judah. There you go. There's your rock. Now I got bad aim. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. How or if we conquer depends on where I see Jesus in my hour of darkness. My ability to overcome fear and offense flows out of my revelation of God, is he seated on his throne? Or am I simply hoping that maybe he shows up? So there's rocks and then there's rocks. What do you do when you find yourself facing a real rock? We're like, now this is actually life or death. We're talking about real pain. All the other stuff is kind of petty. Real, but petty. What about real rocks? This this could kill someone, or at least like seriously concuss you. And that's that's what was happening in that first century when someone like Stephen was um, accused and convicted of heresy. He would be cast outside of the city, and then a group of men would pick up rocks about this size, just big enough to pick up, and hurl it repeatedly, aiming for the head, until finally their victim would die. Probably pass out, i.e. fall asleep, and die. We're told that Paul was stoned and left for dead. They thought they killed him, the Apostle Paul. They thought they had killed him. He was just passed out. He revived. This could kill you. What do you do? What does it look like to conquer in the spirit well Stephen teaches us one thing the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our hearts that Jesus might be revealed in his glory so even though every fiber of my being is screaming retaliate 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 run get away put the wall up The Holy Spirit says, look up, and heaven's open. The eyes of my heart is enlightened, 
And there's King Jesus with all power and authority sitting at the right hand of God, seated on the throne of heaven, overseeing all of the affairs of the world. And then I'm empowered to conquer. When I start praying for my enemies. When I don't pick up a rock and be like, oh, you got a pebble? Oh, you think that's a knife? This is a knife. Remember that one? Anyways. That's what it means to conquer. To be full of the spirit. The power of God to conquer. Learn that and see it save your marriage. Learn that and see what, it, what life feels like to not be an insecure wreck all the time. We're told that um, there was a whole group of men that came after Stephen. They, were, they called themselves the so-called freedmen. Learn how to gaze at the glory of Jesus and have a revelation, an ever-expanding revelation of the greatness of our King and learn what it feels like to live in true freedom. Knowing that I, it's not on me to exact revenge. I don't have to make sure that justice is done and this person gets what's coming to them. I believe in justice. Let me qualify that. I believe in voting. I believe in, in supporting our local law enforcement because God uses appointed authority to see justice done. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the state of our hearts and that the conquering man or woman of God is able to go on their knees and bless enemies when rocks are starting to be hurled because you can see your king seated on his throne. And prayer, prayer is far more powerful than we'll ever fully understand. Verse 50, sorry, verse 60 says, And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know what the very next verse says? This is chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. This young radical named Saul from a city called Tarsus was standing nearby watching all the cloaks they'd taken out off their outer garments to throw the rocks. And young Saul stood there watching this group of religious zealots murder Stephen. He sat there and watched it and he approved. Who do you think Stephen was praying for when he threw out this, Lord, don't hold this sin against them before he breathed his last. Do you know the story of Saul? This young man who from there went about persecuting the church, going from home to home to home, ripping families apart, imprisoning innocent people, even having some put to death. This Saul eventually became the Apostle Paul who had such a radical encounter of King Jesus that he ended up taking the gospel to the ends of the world. This man who had such an extreme revelation of God's grace, his forgiveness, 
the young man who approved of the execution of Stephen. I think that's who Stephen was praying for. It's good, huh? That's good preaching. That's what it looks like to conquer in the spirit. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to spit. You don't need all the tingles. The man or woman of God who's filled with the Holy Spirit is empowered to conquer. One, by having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that we might see the glory of our king reigning over the universe on his throne in heaven. And secondly, when I pray, when I pray, world history is changed. It's not my power. I'm just a vessel, a clay pot filled with the with the all-surpassing power of God. Can we stand together, please? We're going to receive communion now. Our, um, this is our tradition. It's something that we do um, helps to root us in the the ancient family of God. The practice of receiving communion. I've been doing it for thousands of years now. Jesus taught us. When you receive the bread, and the wine, and the grape juice, and you eat it, you drink it, we're being filled afresh. It's, it's not just mere external symbolism, like the bread is his body and the juice is his blood, um, but the fact that he commands us to eat it, to be filled with it, is significant in of itself. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus' body is our life. Reminds us of how we have been forgiven, how we become sons and daughters of God, children of God, loved, forgiven. But as we do it every week, it's like this little meal. We're filled afresh we're filled afresh. Perhaps to see our king a little bit more clearly. To taste and see that he is good. That he's alive. That he's for us. That nothing can separate us from his love. You and I, in Christ, we are more than conquerors. It's not just an idea. And when you take that bread and you dip it in the juice and you put it in your mouth, like savor it, taste it, let your senses engage with it. Be reminded that this is a reality 
we have been designed to be filled with the Spirit of God, that we might become conquerors in this wonderful and very hard world. So if you'd like to, um, to do that this morning, if you'd like to receive communion, if you'd like to renew your faith in Jesus, turn to him, then uh, you're very welcome. If you don't want to do that, there's no pressure. Just stay right where you're at. It's between you and God. Whenever you're ready.